This is the Statman Sports Podcast, where we keep topics in context. This is your host, Steve Duffus, who is still wondering why the Seahawks didn't run the ball. Ah, it's a beautiful day to talk sports, baby. Welcome to episode number three of the Statman Sports Podcast. This is your host, Steve Duffus. Hey, <laughs> man, I'm quite not feeling well today, but uh, we're here. This is what we love to do, talk about sports. And this week, there's a lot going on in sports. Uh, the UEFA Champions League, the top European football league is uh, starting up. You know, if your favorite team is playing, you know, you can start watching that on Tuesday. And uh, the NFL, this past weekend, a lot of games a lot of head scratchers, a lot of controversial plays. Again, um, a lot of teams getting wins when they weren't supposed to get wins. But that's the beauty of the NFL. That's why we watch it. Because you can never predict what can happen. And this week, there were some games that, that really made me, you know, explode. And, oh man, it, it just made me just wonder sometimes about what is going on in, 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 in these professional leagues. But of course, if you are a new listener, thank you for uh, tuning in. And for those of you, you know, if you've been listening for a while, you can always share the podcast with your friends and family. You can always search Statman Sports Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, now newly on TuneIn also. So uh, that's amazing. So just share with your friends, uh, give it a review. And uh, with no further ado, let's just get right into it. Huh? What are you talking about, man? Woo! What? <laughs> Bro, what are you talking about, man? You know, the NFL season is two weeks young. But there's one thing that is clear. The city of Cleveland is cursed. Absolutely cursed. If you watch the Cleveland Browns and the New Orleans Saints game, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. But if you didn't, I'll just give you a picture here, right? Okay, I'll just give you a picture. 18 first downs to 16 first downs. 61 plays to 60 plays. 327 yards to 275 yards. 5.4 yards per play to 4.5 yards per play. 234 yards passing to 213 yards passing. 93 yards rushing in comparison to 63 yards rushing. One turnover to the opponent's two turnovers. If I give you these stats right, you would think the team that led in all the categories I just meant would win the game. But no, we're talking about the Cleveland Browns. Are you kidding me? I'm watching this game. The New Orleans Saints are playing in the Dome where any team, doesn't matter if you're good or bad. It doesn't matter if the Saints are playing good or bad. If you go to that Dome and you play in that environment, you're most likely, highly likely, will lose that game. But no, the Cleveland Browns were playing absolutely good football. Well, in comparison to their standards for the past, what, year and a half? This team hasn't won a game in a long time. And they should have won the game last week against the Steelers, but they didn't. They tied. Based on what? Bad plays, penalties, 
kicking. The kicker was just awful. Deshaun Kaiser, well, not Deshaun Kaiser, sorry. Tyra Taylor just threw the most amazing 47-yard bomb down the field with like a minute and 40-something seconds left to give the Cleveland Browns the tie in the Superdome. Like I said, a stadium where you hardly win. All the kicker had to do. Dude, you had one job. You just had one job, sir. Just one job. You come out there every so often just to kick a ball through the upright, through the post. This man with a tie game, with a chance to win in the Superdome, he misses the extra point to give the Browns the lead. And guess what happened? You give Drew Brees the ball with a minute left and a timeout. Well, he drove down the field. The New Orleans Saints ran down the clock. They kicked the field goal and won the game. <sighs> like I'm looking at this, right? And I'm looking at my Twitter feed. And people are not shocked. The responses were, well, they're the Cleveland Browns. That's ridiculous, man. How can you be that bad? How can you be that bad? For so long that people expect you to mess up in the most crucial times of games. <sighs> I can't, man. I can't. I'm sorry, Cleveland Browns fans. I didn't want to do it. But <sighs> what can you do? You guys started to start over. You had multiple quarterbacks over the past maybe 10 years. Like It's <sighs> different running backs, different receivers, different coaching, different schemes. And nothing works. I just got to say, you guys are just absolutely cursed. I can't. But uh, it's the NFL, so you never know. I wish you luck next week and see what happens. But with that, let's just segue into another game that just baffles me. The Buccaneers versus the Eagles. Ryan Fitzmagic. That's what his name is. Ryan Fitzmagic now. You know how good... This guy is, you don't even, some of you don't even know who Ryan Fitzpatrick is. Some people don't even care who he is. Because when you think about the Buccaneers, you think about Jameis Winston. But Jameis Winston, as you guys know, he has been suspended for the first three games of the season. So, of course, his backup quarterback, Ryan Fitzmagic, has taken over. And this man is the MVP of the NFL right now. And nobody can dispute that. Well, if you throw in... Patrick Mahomes in there, but you know, let's just let's just say Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's a backup quarterback. This man has been on six or seven different teams for his career. And there's a reason for that. Because he's inconsistent. But for the first two weeks of this NFL season, Ryan Fitzpatrick has been magic. Magic. 819 yards, and he's accounted for nine touchdowns and one interception. You know how ridiculous that is? Whew. Not even the great Aaron Rodgers has had two games like that to start a season. And Ryan Fitzpatrick has done that this season. Man, he, he's been putting up these MVP numbers, man. And, and another stat of that game that baffled me that ESPN put out was that Deshaun Jackson has caught five touchdowns from Ryan Fitzpatrick since he started for the Buccaneers. In comparison to only one when Jameis Winston is the quarterback. Now, that raises the question. If Ryan Fitzpatrick keeps playing like this, do you guys think Jameis Winston's job is on the line? Let's, let's be frank. Let's be honest. 
Jameis Winston hasn't been all that great for the Buccaneers over the past couple of years. They also have been inconsistent. They haven't made the playoffs in a long time. And he hasn't done anything for them to make me say, you know what, uh, these guys these guys will move forward with, with, uh, Ryan, with, with uh, Jameis Winston. But Ryan Fitzpatrick is, for some reason, just making everyone better. Maybe he's playing with the sense of, you know, I, I guess I can't keep this job anyway because Jameis, Jameis is the starter. So, you know, let me just play with the I don't care attitude. And if that is what Ryan Fitzpatrick is doing, it's serving him very, very, very well. You know, I just want to give you like a broad picture of who Ryan Fitzpatrick is. This is his seventh NFL team, like I said. He played uh, with the Rams, the Bengals, the Bills, the Titans, the Texans, and the Jets. Okay? His best completion percentage for for any season is 63.1%. His highest touchdowns that he has thrown for season is 31. That's what with the Jets. That was three seasons ago in 2015. The last time this man threw for 400 plus yards was in 2013. And that's what with the Titans. That was five years ago. And then to give it in perspective, what his numbers is, his career completion is 59.8%. He's thrown 177 touchdowns and 136 interceptions. He has fumbled 66 times and he's never had a passer rating better than 80.6. And in these first two games of this NFL season, this man has 144.7 passer rating and 108 passer rating. You know how ridiculous that is? You know how ridiculous that is? That's how good Ryan Fitzpatrick is playing right now. And of course, the Buccaneers are 2-1-0 and number one in their division. So, Jameis, I know you want your job back, but dude, Ryan Fitzpatrick, is, uh, he's putting in that work, man, so... <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen there, but uh, we just got to take that into account. But let's not f- even forget, you know, I'm here talking about Fitzpatrick's numbers. And I'm forgetting the press conference that he had after the game on Sunday. <laughs> that outfit, this man looked like a poor man's Conor McGregor. And I didn't know Ryan was that funny too. He's an absolutely funny guy. He was making some jokes, had his chest hair all over for the media to see. It was absolutely crazy man it was good to see man when you're putting up those type of numbers like i just mentioned you can wear whatever you want you can say whatever you want but man that's that's absolutely beautiful to see in the first two weeks of the nfl and with that i just want to segue into another game that just made me absolutely think of the future of the nfl the pittsburgh steelers versus the kansas city chiefs patrick mahomes this guy, Patrick Mahomes. That's all I have to say. Patrick Mahomes. For the first two weeks of the NFL season, this man has thrown 10 touchdowns. 10. 10 touchdowns. You know, since 1970, in the merge in the NFL, only three quarterbacks has ever thrown for nine touchdown passes in their first two games. Drew Brees, 2009, made the Super Bowl. Peyton Manning, 2013, made the Super Bowl. And Patrick Mahomes, this season. We just have to wait and see if he makes the Super Bowl. Hey now, hey now. I'm not claiming that the Kansas City Chiefs are going to make the Super Bowl, but there's a trend here. There is a trend here, and we got to pay attention to this. But man, (laughs) 
Patrick Mahomes, along with Ryan Fitzpatrick, if you want to go back and forth, you can say, hey, those two guys after two weeks are the NFL MVPs. But Mahomes has, he has the better players. He has the better running game. He has the better O-line. And you can see why the Chiefs didn't even care about letting Alex Smith go. Because one thing is clear, in this Andy Reid offense with with, uh, uh, Alex Smith, the biggest complaint was that Alex Smith does not take chances down the field. And that's what hindered the Chiefs in most of the years. Even though they made the playoffs, they couldn't advance in the playoffs very far because they couldn't take chances. You know what? Let me rephrase. Not that they couldn't take chances. It's just the type of quarterback they had. They didn't want to take any chances. Alex Smith was more like a game manager. And now that they have Patrick Mahomes, you can just tell after these first two games. I'll just say it right now and quote me on this. I think Patrick Mahomes is going to end up being the next Brett Favre because he plays just like him. The across the body throws, you know, the, the, the shots that he takes down the field. And you can tell the offense benefits from it. It's amazing. Tyreek Hill, the speed is like you're playing Madden. If it's, it's crazy, man. It's like you, you, you put the fastest wide receiver in Madden, make him go a go route down the field and you just toss it down there. See if he gets it. That's how, that's how the Chiefs are playing right now. And it's working out for them. They're putting up ridiculous amount of points. Their, their offense is smooth. They're taking chances. Their defense, eh. That's the reason why I was saying earlier that, yes, even though Drew Brees and Peyton Manning made the Super Bowl the years they threw nine-plus touchdowns in their first two games, but you got to remember, in those seasons, those teams, they were top 10 defenses as well, the Saints and the, the, the Colts. Right now, again, it's only two weeks. The Chiefs' defense is very good, but the numbers don't show that. But it's a long season, guys. It's a long season. And I expect the Chiefs to tighten up their defense. And if their offense keep playing like this, the Chiefs can quite well make the Super Bowl. But of course, you have the New England Patriots that's in the way. But that's something that we will discuss later down the season when we see what's going on. But man, that's absolutely bonkers, man. We just talked about Ryan Fitzpatrick and, and Patrick Mahomes. You would think, right, after two weeks in the NFL, you'd be talking about Aaron Rodgers or, or Andrew Luck. But we're here talking about two guys that one has potential, another one's a backup. But that's, like I said, the beauty of the NFL. The NFL makes you wonder week by week. It's not the usual suspects every week. And that's just amazing. And, of course, after we watch Patrick Mahomes, <sighs> again, again, Controversy in the NFL. More controversy in the NFL. But of course, I'm going to leave that for our next segment when we segue into that. That don't make any sense. I'm a... Oh, man. This week's version of the I'm Confused segment. I'm... I don't, I don't, I, I don't, I can't understand anymore. I'm I'm just baffled by, by the NFL and, and some of these claims that they make. So the, the, the main one o'clock primetime game was the Minnesota Vikings against the Green Bay Packers for obvious reasons. The Minnesota Vikings, they made it to the NFC Championship last year, uh, even though they got absolutely handled by the Philadelphia Eagles. They still have a good offense. They have a great defense. And of course, they're playing the Green Bay Packers. It's a... It's a divisional game. 
it's going to matter down the season for who's going to win the NFC North. Of course, playing the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers, storyline. He got injured in the first game, came back, had a magical fourth quarter. Now in this game, he's hobbled. He's wearing a brace. He can't move like he usually moves. And the Minnesota Vikings have Mike Zimmer, one of the great defensive coaches out there. So, of course, you're going to think he's going to bring the blitzes. He's going to bring the exotic schemes. He's going to come down and try to destroy Aaron. And for the first couple drives, you see that was happening. But somehow, Aaron Rodgers just made it happen. Minnesota scored the first touchdown was 7-0. Then Green Bay came back, scored a touchdown. Then Green Bay in the second quarter scored another touchdown. They got a field goal. Then they scored another field goal in the third quarter. And by that point, the Green Bay Packers, you're looking at this game and you're saying, well, okay, um, Aaron Rodgers on one leg is better than most of the NFL, at least 90% of the NFL. He's still doing his thing, but obviously you can tell he can't move like he usually does. Packers are up 20-7. to Then the fourth quarter happened. In timely fashion, the Green Bay Packers defense, my defense, again, gives up 22 points in the fourth quarter. And this has been the theme for the past 10 years, except for one season when the Packers won a Super Bowl in 2010. Their defense was top 10. Perspective, Aaron Rodgers has not lost a playoff game with the Packers if the defense allows less than 22 points, okay? Less, if you just allow less than 22 points, the Packers will guarantee you a win. Aaron Rodgers will guarantee you a win in the playoff or any game for that matter. And the Packers can do that. How do you allow three scores in the fourth quarter? You are up 20 to 7. All you have to do is play defense. That's your only job, to play defense. Anyway. The Packers are struggling in the fourth quarter. Minnesota scoring touchdowns, they're scoring field goals. Minnesota scoring touchdowns, they're kicking field goals. So with a minute and 48 left, there comes this absolute ridiculous bonkers. I don't know if that makes sense. I'm so confused. Call. It just confuses me. There's a deep pass. Up the middle of the field by Kirk Cousins. Clay Matthews wraps his arms around Kirk Cousins and tackles him to the ground. You can tell by the replay that Clay Matthews is putting down his left hand on the ground so he can stop himself from actually tugging uh, Kirk Cousins down to the ground. While that's going on, on the other end of the field, Kirk Cousins' pass is picked off. You think absolutely that seals the game for the Green Bay Packers. They're going to go up 2-1-0 in the division. Miraculously, even though their quarterback, the best player in the league, is hobbled on one leg. But no, we hear a whistle. Play's coming back. Roughing the passer. Number 52 on the defense. Repeat, second down. Guess what happens? They get the ball back. Minnesota gets the ball back, obviously. They methodically drive down the field. They get a touchdown, tie the game, and we go into overtime. Now, my point is, everyone know what the outcome of the game was. Another kicker missed another extra point. 
Mason Crosby missed a game-winning field goal. The game is a tie. I already talked about this last week in our latest episode. It's why we play for ties. That's ridiculous. But again, we already discussed that. But what I want to focus on is the point that this roughing the passer rule just needs to go, okay? They need to do something about that. It doesn't make sense. You are a defensive player. You're a quarterback. Okay, I understand this is a quarterback league. I understand that you have to protect your biggest assets. Assets, Sorry. But come on, man. They're football players as well. Yes, you have big old linemen protecting them. Cool, but what, what, is, the, what is the linebacker supposed to do? Huh? What is the defensive end supposed to do? If you're running on a quarterback, where are you supposed to hit him? I don't care what the rule says. Okay, you can't hit anyone in the helmet. Fine. You can't undercut anybody. Fine. Everybody understand those rules. But what is the definition now for roughing a passer? On the replay, you can literally tell the ball left exactly when Clay Matthews tackled Kirk Cousins. And like I said, he was trying to put his left hand down so he wouldn't drag him to the ground so he won't be called for an absolute ridiculous roughing the passer. And he did get called for it anyway. And guess what? After the game, they interviewed the referee to ask him, what was he thinking? Okay, so this this is the transcript, right? Tony, can you explain the penalty on Clay Matthews and what you saw there on the late hit? This is what referee Tony Corrente said. Was that the fourth? The play in the fourth quarter, first of all, first of all, I understand there's a lot of plays going on in the NFL, but are you kidding me? You can't remember? You can't remember that specific call? First of all, that just seems suspect to me. Okay. Then the interviewer said, yes, sir, that same play. Then Tony Corrente answered. When he hit the quarterback, he lifted him and drove him into the ground. Um, I don't know what you were watching, referee, but Clay Matthews hit him in the chest and was holding him with one arm and trying to trying to balance himself with the left hand so he doesn't absolutely drag him to the ground. Tony Corrente said, uh, no, the interviewer said, is that enforced under the new helmet rule? Tony Corrente said, not at all. It has nothing to do with the rule of full body weight. It has nothing to do with helmet to helmet. He picked the quarterback up and drove him into the ground. So, the reporter was like, uh, Okay, so what could he have done differently on that play? Since you think he dragged them to the ground? Tony Corrente answered, not picked him up and drive him to the ground. So the interviewer was like, well, well, I guess I guess that just fixes the problem, right? And as a Packer fan, of course, I'm, I'm just going to analyze this as a fan. I'm looking at this game. We're playing against a rival, like I said. We were playing good enough to win the game. We won the game. And the referee took the game away from us. But if I sit back and look at this neutrally, it's still a bad call. Some people were saying, well, they called the same thing on, on, uh, on, on Kendricks a couple of plays before on Aaron Rodgers. Context, people. Not because the play was called on one team means it's a good call on both sides. The call is awful. Regardless, the NFL is trying to protect its quarterbacks. I get that, like I said, but that is not the point. There comes a point where you have to look at this objectively. This game is a very rough game. Men get paid to hit quarterbacks. If you can't hit the quarterback, if you can't tackle him in a particular way, then 
Why are you getting paid? Why are we on the field? This literally changed the complex, not just of this game, but it changed the complex of the entire NFC North race. Okay. This could be potentially the, the two teams that could actually win this division. And one referee call, bad call, in my opinion, and in many's opinion, is what costs this game. Yes, the kickers should have made their extra points and their field goals. I get that. But it shouldn't have even got to that. Because the call should have never been made. And even even Clay Matthews doesn't understand. Granted, the week before against the the Chicago Bears, he had this, a similar tackle, but that was a little bit worse. He did hit him quite hard when the ball was already gone. So I get that. And luckily, the Green Bay Packers won. But this game, this actually cost them the game. Yes, it was a tie, but it cost them a win. And in, and in the NFL, where ties are also counted, this win, you can say, like in any sport, like if you look at soccer even, they say, yeah, a tie is good enough. It's just like a win for the, for the worst team. No, you're actually giving up points in the standings. And that's what happened here. Both teams gave up points in the standings. Yes, they have to play again, but think about it. That rule just needs to go. It just needs to go. It needs to be... Matter of fact... I won't say go. It just needs to be revamped. Think about it, NFL. Like, what are you doing to the integrity of the game? This, if if every single thing is rough in the past, then let's just play flag football. Or let's just go play Madden or something. There's no point to do this. <sighs> anyway, man, that's just... It, it's just bothersome, man. And the NFL need to do something about it. Here's by the numbers. This is your stats of the day. Ah, our stat of the day today is brought to you from NFL.com. And that number today is the number three. Yes, the number three. Week number three. Happy news for the Philadelphia Eagles. They're getting back their star quarterback, Carson Wentz. He's been medically cleared to step on the field. And I'm sure the Eagles are rejoicing because they get back their deep passer, the dynamic passer, the elusive quarterback. And he will bring back stability to that Philadelphia offense who has been struggling for the first two weeks of the season. And I'm sure fans, the team, is happy that he's back. So Philadelphia Eagles fans, congratulations on getting back your quarterback. And I hope you're very successful until you meet the Green Bay Packers, of course. (laughs) It's that part of the show where you listeners get involved. It's Q&A time. Now it's time to ask Steve about his deep, dark secrets. Or whatever the heck you want to ask. This is the part of the show that I love so much because it involves you guys and I, I like you guys to be involved in my process of this growing of this podcast. And like I promised in the second episode that we're going to have the, the Q&A section and we'll try to answer three questions every episode. Um, you can ask me whatever you want. You can ask me anything about sports. Uh, like I said, any questions you ask, we pick out the three that I find interesting for that week and we'll answer them. So our first question comes from Henry from Curacao. Yeah, the beautiful island of Curacao. Guys, if you haven't been there, you should go there. It's an amazing island. Beautiful. 
Anyway, Henry's question is, who do you think will win the World Series? Wow, okay. <laughs> well, I think this season, you know, as is documented, I'm a Chicago Cubs fan. And our pitching hasn't been all that great. And of course, what the the Boston Red Sox have been doing all season, I think right now they are the front runner for winning the World Series. So I'd say, as of right now, if you look at it, then from the top of my head, you say the Boston Red Sox, New York Yankees, Cleveland Indians, Minnesota Twins, Houston Astros, uh, Atlanta Braves, Chicago Cubs, Colorado Rockies. I think those are the teams, without looking on paper, I think they will make the playoffs at the moment. And out of all those teams, I think the Boston Red Sox are the clear front runners because they're complete. They have pitching. You know, they can run bases, they can steal, they can hit. Uh, they have Their strategy is great. And what's important in the playoffs is pitching. And they have the best pitching right now. So I, I think uh, they're the front runner at the moment. Next question uh, comes from uh, Mark from New York. And Mark's question is, last week you said the Giants made the right choice by taking Saquon Barkley. Do you still think the same now after watching Eli Manning versus the Cowboys? Well, Mark, um, yes, I still stick by the fact that if you have a great running back, you take it because the running back opens up a lot for the other players. Of course, the quarterback position is the most important position in football. And um, looking at how Sam, Sam Darnold has been playing for the Jets, yes, it makes you think, yes, the Giants should have taken Sam, Sam Darnold. But... Again, it's only two weeks in the season. Yes, I've watched the game. Eli Manning looks awful. The O-line also looks awful. So it doesn't matter. It could have been Aaron Rodgers or Brian Payton Manning back there with that O-line. And it still would have been bad. Because they have no consistency in that line. So, uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe we will revisit the question again in a couple of weeks. When uh, the Giants maybe are in seven, eight weeks into the season. And uh, our last question comes from Lisa from Florida. Lisa said, will you be having any guests on soon? I would love to hear you debate someone live. <laughs> well, Lisa, yes, that's that's going to be part of our show soon. Um, actually, um, soon I, in, in the next episode or the one after that one, we'll be having an ESPN anchor. Um, somebody that I've been following for a long time. Her name is Antonieta Collins. Um, like I said, she, she does a sports center for ESPN and we'll be having her on soon. And uh, her and I will be talking about some interesting topics that I think you would like to hear and that you guys would be very interested in. And of course, give a perspective of how it is in the world of sports on that side. Of course, again, guys, thank you for your questions. Submit your questions by email to business at statmanpodcast.com. You can also leave your questions on our Facebook page and also on our Instagram page. And we'll see you next week for another set of questions. Keep it in context, Billy. Tell the whole story. All right, so since the Sunday night football game between the New York Giants and the Dallas Cowboys, um, I've been getting a lot of text messages, a lot of emails, people asking me, and even one of the questions that I answered today on the Q&A they asked me if I still stick by the fact that the Giants should have taken Saquon Barkley running back ahead of Sam Donald. And yes, I already gave my explanation last week, but for the new listeners, I'll explain it again. When you have a running back that good, 
and I explained it in context of playing fantasy football. Usually, the running backs are the top scorers in any fantasy league because they are able to run the ball very well. They were able to catch. And if you have, for example, like a Le'Veon Bell, like a Todd Gurley, and in his prime, Adrian Peterson, Ladainian Tomlinson, all those quarter, all those running backs that can catch and run the ball effectively, you draft them high. And they haven't failed. I mean, many of them haven't failed. You know, high pick running backs, except for Trent Richardson, if you remember. <laughs> he He's the exception. But most high pick running backs, they are pretty good. And Saquon Barkley is not any different. And you can tell from the game last night, even though he didn't run the ball very well against the Cowboys because they zoned out on him, he was still able to catch, what, 13 balls or 12 balls? And he still put up, in fantasy terms, he put up some good fantasy points. And obviously, fantasy translates from real life. So, yes, he might not have run the ball pretty good, but he was efficient in any other aspect of the game. And that's why I still think that you should draft running back high. Now, if you look just as a neutral fan, not being a New York Giants fan, if you just look at the game, the Giants offensive line, it's pretty bad. Watching the game, I was sending out a couple of tweets, and one of my tweets were the Giants offensive line is making the Cowboys defensive line look like the 1985 Chicago Bears. That's how bad the offensive line was. Okay, the Cowboys have a good defense, but they don't have a great, great defense. And that O-line, they, they just couldn't protect Eli Manning. Saquon Bartley didn't find no holes to run through. It was just abysmal. And you can tell because Eli Manning got sacked six times. That was the first time since 2008 that Dallas Cowboys had six sacks against the New York Giants. That's 10 years ago. That's how bad they have been for a long time. Yes, some games they have a good game. Some days they don't. But more consistently, they've been having bad games. And of course, Eli Manning doesn't help his cause either because he's not mobile like he used to be. And he he's just not making good decisions anymore. And having a person like Odell Beckham, and for me, I have Odell Beckham on my fantasy team. It was frustrating to watch that the ball wasn't even getting in Odell Beckham's vicinity. And that's frustrating. So, of course, after two weeks, like I say, the first three, four weeks, everyone overreacts to everything in the NFL. I still believe they made the right choice by taking Saquon Barkley. But at the same time, it makes you wonder if they have, they should have taken Sam Darnold. And why? And Chris Collinsworth made a very interesting comment that made me think all day about this, all night after watching the game. He said, what? What would the Giants have done if they drafted Sam Donald? Would they have left him on the bench until Eli Manning decided to retire or not play well anymore? Well, newsflash. In my opinion, Eli Manning hasn't been playing well for the past three years. He's leading the league in interceptions thrown. Like I said, his O-line is not helping him. They haven't had a good running game in a while either until they just drafted Saquon. Again, it's only two games, so you don't have a big picture of how he will be. But... It doesn't matter if it's Barry Sanders back there. It doesn't matter if it's Adrian Peterson or Daniel Tomlinson. That O-line needs to be addressed. And it doesn't matter what type of quarterback is sitting behind that O-line. They will have problems. They will get sacked a lot. They will get hit a lot. They will get pressured a lot. And to bring this whole thing into context, man. The, 
the biggest problem with the Giants is they paid Odell Beckham all this money. Yes, they have to invest their money elsewhere, but you had to pay the best receiver statistically for the past four years. You just have to pay him. And you should have thought of this three, four years ago. You should have invested in your O-line. You should have invested a little more in your offense. The staple for the New York Giants, remember, this is a team that beat Tom Brady and Bill Belichick twice in the Super Bowl. If it wasn't for Eli Manning and the Giants defense, Tom Brady would be 7 for 7 right now in the Super Bowl. It would be ridiculous. He, he, it just doesn't make any sense. The Giants were able to accomplish that we had because they had a top five defense. They were great on defense. The Giants wasn't all that great on offense. One of them, they won through being a wild card, and the other one, the other Super Bowl, I think they won being like a like a fourth seed, I think. So the Giants weren't all that great on offense, like I said. But defensively, they were amazing. And right now, they're not amazing on defense and clearly not on offense. But the most glaring problem they have is on that offensive line. And I said it multiple times during the segment. You need to get a good offensive line. If you don't get a good offensive line, it doesn't matter who your quarterback is. It doesn't matter who your running back is. You will have a problem. But to ease people's mind after two weeks, yes. It makes you think that they should have drafted Sam Darnold. He's only, what, 21 years old? He could have sat behind Eli Manning, gained some experience for a year, maybe two. But who's to know if you would want to do that? When you work that hard at that age and you make it to the NFL, you want to play right away. And especially if you're as good as Sam Donald. I don't know what the Giants owe Eli Manning. What? He won you two Super Bowls? So you're holding on to this old idea that he will be good again? He's not good anymore. He's 37 years old. He can't move like he used to. Giants fans, Giants management, think about what's going on here. The problem, yes, it looks like a quarterback is awful. But the problem begins from where the quarterback is protected from. Start to fix that O-line. Start to. You had zero points midway through the third quarter. Yes, the entire offense didn't perform, but like I said, multiple times. If your O-line can't keep your quarterback standing up, doesn't matter which quarterback it is, you're not going to be successful. And that's what you have to think about. Just don't look at one game and say he had a bad game. No, you guys have had an awful O-line for years now, for a long time, and nothing was done about it. And now you're reaping the consequences. Now you're asking for a new quarterback. You already got the running back. You already got the wide receiver. Now you want a quarterback. You just got to live with what you have now. But that's just my opinion. I, I give my analysis on what I see. And what you guys need to do now is invest your money on that line. Look at the Dallas on the other side. Look at Dallas's offense. They don't have big name players. All they have is Dak Prescott and, and Ezekiel Elliott, which is a superstar already in the league. But why is he a superstar? Look at the O-line he's running behind. The best O-line in the past three, four years. That's all I need to say about that. Ah, that was amazing, man. Another week to talk about the NFL. A lot of sports are going on. Uh, baseball season 
is ending in like a week and a half i know a lot of people don't care about the regular season because it's really long but uh october baseball is right around the corner and i know a lot of people are going to be tuning in and we will be talking about that about the playoff games about the type of impacts we'll have for those who want to represent in the world series of course and uh just like i told one of my uh listeners in the q a today uh, maybe next episode or the one after that we're gonna have sports center anchor antonieta collins and uh we're gonna have a lot of questions we're going to talk about Barcelona, Messi, we're going to talk about boxing, you know, a little bit about everything. And we, of course, we're going to talk about her personally, about some things, some of the challenges she has faced in her life, you know, being a sports center anchor, of course. And uh, yeah, they, yeah, I'm excited about that interview and uh, I can't wait for you guys to tune in. If you haven't already, subscribe, comment, review on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and Stitcher and Google Play, of course. And uh, for now, Statman signing out. Thanks for listening to the Statman Sports Podcast. See you next time.